Welcome to Three, a show about Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic, and part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Gil Gross with Joel Drucker and Amy Lundy, and uh, we're going to get into the Australian Open in this video, looking ahead to a major that will continue to provide us with, unfortunately, uncertainty and likely some complications. Uh, but first, an update on all three of, uh, of our big three, beginning with Novak Djokovic, who has decided to forego Indian Wells. He will not play in the Californian desert. Amy is there in the Californian desert. And since she's making us all jealous with her background, we're going to go to her first. Uh, Amy, what did you make of Novak's decision not to play? It makes sense. Um, he doesn't need to do this right now. And I think the biggest thing is that Indian Wells, because of the pandemic, is rescheduled. It's happening in October, and then they're going to turn right around and play it again in March. So if he wants more Masters 1000s or he, you know, really is feeling that he needs to play this tournament for whatever reason, he can just play it again in March. And after the year that he had, he's physically and mentally exhausted. So it makes perfect sense not to play. Yeah, I agree. I think it made sense i mean it's been a long year for him doesn't want to travel to the west coast probably wants to go home and spend time in monte carlo where he lives and also in serbia and then maybe play some uh, european fall events and then gear up for 2022 so unfortunate it's such a great tournament and he's done quite well here but uh it's logical it's one of his favorite places right um he'd be first to admit that so um here's what i find interesting about about the whole thing. He's leaving the door open for Medvedev to potentially catch him. And I know that's insane. Uh, Novak has been in all four major finals. He's won three of them, but the, the race is, uh, is still alive. This is uh, the, the year long, um, basically rankings points race will decide who is officially the year end number one. Now, that that could mean Novak could actually be number one in the rankings after this year, but Medvedev could be year end number one because that's how they've decided to do it, uh, which is really, really weird. But that's how it is. But isn't that interesting? I mean, Novak must it must not be a major priority for him to finish the year at number one, because if it was a major priority, he would probably say, I'm tired, but I'm still just I'm going to go play Indian Wells and lock this up. I think that we're going to be looking back at the rankings from the years 20 and 21. And it's just strange between the pandemic and people make tournament commitments. And Novak has probably played fewer matches this year than any other time, than any of his more recent years. And it's just kind of a wild time. And he's going to be 35 next year. And I think he's just, all right. Yeah. Okay. So I don't, I'm not going to get all bent out shape about being the year number one. And there have been years, this would be the most, remarkable where the person who won more majors did not finish the year in number one there have been numerous years in the history of tennis where that's happened more so way back when the points weren't quite as calibrated but uh yeah so be it i don't think novak's losing sleep over whether he's going to finish the year ranked number one he already has the record for most weeks at number one and it's like the number one year in number one stops making sense when Djokovic is not the number one at the end of the year that he's had and I, I just I it doesn't matter in the grand scheme it doesn't matter in the big picture 
it doesn't matter to the casual fan and it probably doesn't even matter to the intense fan. Um, it's just a very small picture thing that when you consider the pandemic and the decisions that he has to make and his physical and mental health, it just makes all the sense in the world not to try to pursue that. I think it used to matter. I think the, the beginning of, of what you just said, Amy, is the key is that he already has the most weeks at number one, which is, I think we all agreed at the time, a record um, that we all find to be important and yeah. meaningful to Novak, right? But, mm -hmm. but now that he has that, there's really only one record for him to break. The thing is, he's already passed Federer and Nadal in said record, and that is year-end number ones, and him and Pete Sampras are tied at six. Yeah, but you know, here's the thing that the players, these things matter at different stages of your career. What matters is playing a Grand Slam tournament. What matters is winning an ATP tournament. What matters is getting at the top, cracking the top 10. You know, each of these things matter at different stages of one's career. So it, it does it. Yeah, right now, Novak, right now in this moment, particularly given what the world has been like these last two years, year end number one is that. And, and the record, there are other records to be had. I mean, I think an athlete, while he wants to set records and and accomplish things he knows which records you know it's kind of like your three best records you know it's kind of like that would be an interesting thing for every tennis player to look at what are your three best what are your three a pluses you know john mackinros happened to be winning day five davis cups four u.s opens three wimbledons so what are what are those tent poles and novak he's got plenty he's got plenty mm -hmm. he's got at least just just 20 alone is kind of 20 slams alone kind of supersedes all stuff about weeks and master series and thousands and all that kind of stuff. He and look again. He he might pass Pete anyway because he's he's number one in the race right now. We'll see how Daniil does at Indian Wells. It's a little slow for his liking. It's a little bit a little bit like clay over mm -hmm. there. Um, so so we will see uh, we'll see how that plays out. But how Pete about um, out the way Pete hangs on to six straight years finished. So that's Pete's A plus, and that's a yes. good one for him to hang on to. Uh, Novak, you know, they're all going to have their own, you know, Novak, I, I think, I think if you're sure. Novak, I think you're a little more concerned with, you're a little more happy about 20 majors than number of year end number ones. Agreed. Career That's number one. That's number one. That's right. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, Federer and Nadal remain on the mend, but both of them came out with very positive and flowery quotes a couple weeks ago. Um, Nadal said, uh, I have the goal of improving and facing a process that is going to be difficult, painful at some point, but I have to fight for what I want and I am determined to do it. That's strong. I mean, it's not, you know, he's not saying I'm going to come back better than ever. And I'm going to, I'm going to be a world beater. Um, he would never say that at, at any point in his career, but I think like that is very much a, I am still here kind of statement. Agreed. Yeah, I, I mean, um, I think we're kind of dancing around the heart of the matter here, which is that Novak's going to have to make a decision about whether he's going to play the Australian Open, and they're all tied at 20, and this is a prime chance for him to do 21. Um, Rafa, if he is well, um, has already stated that he's already been vaccinated, and so he'll have no problem playing if he's healthy there's a chance for him to grab 21 i mean you're looking at 
some real decision making. And then the next one after that is Roland Garros, where despite the fact that Novak beat Rafa this year, um, you still have to think that Rafa will be a major contender there. So it's getting to be a real sticky wicket for Djokovic. Wait, the sticky wicket being... Well, okay. So we want to segue. We want to talk about these statements a little more. Do you want to talk? Well, more yeah. About I, I think let's let's attack the Australian Open, and that's going to be a big part of it. Yeah, I mean we're we're kind of ignoring the big deal here. It's like a huge deal. Okay. He has to decide. Novak Djokovic has to decide as a person, and he it, forget COVID. Before COVID, Novak opposed vaccines personally. If I can add something, he opposed the vaccine before the vaccine existed. Right. Other vaccines he opposed. No, oh, that's right. Amy's right. Even before, yeah. even before there was a pandemic. Right. I had spoken about as, as a parent, you have to decide whether or not to vaccinate your children. And it's actually kind of a big deal. And there's a lot of vaccines that come at you almost from day one. Um, most people in the United States see it as a safety and health issue. They're recommended to, to do the smallpox, the rubella, the chickenpox. I mean, there's any number of polio, there's any number of diseases and they view it as like a health and safety thing, but also as a moral imperative not to spread these diseases to other people. And there has, there has been an uptick in measles lately from, um, which we pretty much eradicated, but from people choosing not to vaccinate. Now, that being said, it's really hard as a parent to see your child have a needle stuck in them from something that is man-made over and over and over again, starting from almost birth up until, you know, I've got a 14-year-old and she was just vaccinated at her last visit. As a parent, it's it's harder than you think to make that decision. So even before the pandemic, Novak has gone on record saying that he's not a vaccine person. So he now is faced with this really difficult choice, this really hard conundrum, if indeed, as reported, Tennis Australia and the Australian government mandate vaccines for anyone competing in that Grand Slam. Which, by the way, Australian news sources have confirmed, which to me means people in Tennis Australia have leaked. I mean, because this is how this works is when, when these things get in the media, it's not by accident. It means someone leaked it. Uh, people within Tennis Australia have leaked to outlets like The Age in Australia. That it's very it. I they've leaked it. I think it, it, it leaked implied that it's been, that's discreet, it's secret. And no one knows it. I mean, no one's no one's gone on record, Joel. So it's 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 source. It's a sources say, which means someone oh. leaked it. And right? by the way, it's it's not a. If you read the wording in the Age, which is a great publication, it says very likely to yeah. require. Yeah, but but I think that means Tennis Australia wants this out here right now, and I think that's because they're like, look, nobody, please, nobody be taken by surprise here, because this is a very real possibility. And uh, if you just look at what's been happening in Australia, um, there are, I, I have a lot of concerns about the tournament even going on, but um, you know, if it does, it would be really difficult to imagine players being unvaccinated uh, playing the Australian Open. 
With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Well, and this gets to the whole thing. You look at some of the other sports where there's some pretty high vaccine vaccination rates and tennis, tennis is filled with uh, contractors with individual kind of solo contractors who have, who incorporate themselves and go as they wish. And so, and of course, and, and Novak is there too. So it's interesting to see, I'm, I'm curious also how this fits in with his, his vision of the PTPA. Uh, is there a player's union? Does that advocate on behalf of players to, do the players, do a number of players who don't wish to be vaccinated, do they say, okay, well, we're not going to come anyway. I mean, yeah, it's going to be, it is really interesting what's going to come down in the next few weeks and how, how the Australian government and Tennis Australia, how communication goes on with them and with the players. But I think, I mean, the, the cues from the Australian government are pretty clear on this yeah. stuff. And, and, you know, if you, if, if you look at, I'll just jump in, that if you look at the other sports, um, there's some talk that the NBA is going to mandate vaccines and they don't have 100% yet um, vaccination rate. And the players unions in those sports, Major League Baseball and the NBA, are advocating that the players should have the choice not to. Yeah. So if, if the PTPA tries to flex its muscle um, and you know, who knows, that that may be a sticking point. But it, it seems like the Australian government that's even more powerful than Tennis Australia is um, going to err on the side of safety. Absolutely. And, and let's keep in mind that, and first of all, I don't think the PTPA right now has shown itself to be strong and powerful enough to make that happen. But if they were strong and powerful, the numbers that were swirling around during the time of the U.S. Open, when the USTA did collect everyone's vaccination status and didn't, and it was kept under wraps, nobody really allowed that to be become public, which is which is good. Um, but the number that was being floated around was about fifty percent. And the then number- John John Wertheim reported. I, I don't know when it might have been like a week or two ago that um, the number was more like thirty percent. Well, I think oh, he's really? a coach citing that. Oh, okay. A coach okay. said that. Okay. Again, yeah. So we, well, right. We're not hearing 65. No, 
you NBA know, and, is 90. NBA yeah. is 90. Yeah. So, uh, and uh, arena set, let's talk about Indian Wells because mm-hmm. what's happening there is interesting right now. Um, the, the, the fans have to be vaccinated to go mm-hmm. and the players do not. And the staff has to be. Mm-hmm. As was the case at the U.S. Open, with the, the staff had to be, but the players do not. So um, I, I do think that the the idea of of rights, right, about personal choice, everybody has the right not to be vaccinated, but you don't necessarily have the right to play the Australian Open. You don't have the right, right to employment either. So That's this right. is not about rights. This is completely separate from rights. This is, uh, you know, uh, playing the Australian Open not a right. Um, going to Indian Wells, not a right. So the fascinating thing is what's going to, what Novak is going to do and what he's going to say he's doing and why he's doing it and other players too. And how that works. It's just intriguing to see the attitude. A lot of these athletes are taking towards this. So yeah, we're going to see, we'll learn a lot. Well, why do we think it's, uh, why do we think there's more hesitancy in the sample size of tennis players than certain other populations, Joel? I think the team sports encourage more learning collaboration and learning together. I think tennis players, I think it's almost baked into the DNA of tennis is that you learn to be a very independent thinker. This We don't have on-court coaching in tennis. We, we're, a tennis player is taught to be highly self-reliant and that the universe revolves around them. I know that in golf, there are several also, I don't know what percentages they have either, but in professional golf, there are several of the top players that have chosen not to be vaccinated. And some of them are like, um, like Patrick Cantlay um, has said, I've already had COVID. So when I'm weighing like antibodies that I might already have versus the chances that I'll get it and I have the option not to he's opted not to so and that that may be in line with Novak's thinking too because he has also had COVID but rules are rules and um, I'm just I think it's one of the more fascinating sort of social stories of sports in the last few years what his decision will be all things considered yeah tennis players are raised in a, in a non-institutional silo the other sports in a certain kind of way act as cartels even if you, you could be the greatest eight-year-old basketball player basketball player in the world and you still need some coach to think you're good enough to be on that team and join forces with four other players that's not true in tennis in tennis you just you're just right in the you're the league yourself you're the league yourself, you're, you're the league, you're the owner, and it's your deal. And so the, the singularity, the, the narrowness, the, the independence, that's, that's independence, that's the thing that's great about the sport, the independent, self-reliant, you know, individual, that's what makes the sport so popular. I was talking when, um, earlier today with uh, a friend of mine about the way we relate to these players. They're such individuals, and that's what compels people who don't know even forehands from backhands to just personalities, singular entities. And that's such a a powerful kind of democratic factor, but, but it's kind of like self and then society and the team sports encourage, not encourage, they nurture by their very nature, a society, a societal consciousness. I mean, I don't care how great that eight-year-old is. He could be scoring 60 points a game. He still needs four of us to get on the ball and, and we're his teammates. 
we're literally in a way that you're not in tennis. And so the tennis player learns this very much. I think it's this way. This is how I did it. Yep. I, I think there are other factors. Um, this goes for all athletes, but there's certainly a sense of, uh, I would say, physiological hubris, right? Good. I am I am in this impeccable shape. I am as fit as any human in the world. COVID will not affect me. Now, there have been many athletes that, that we've seen tremendously affected tennis players, Grigor Dimitrov being one, Kaya Yuvan on the WTA side being another, Joanna Kanta on the WTA side being another. I mean, we've seen that some players can get COVID. It can have effects on their ability to perform athletically. But I think that there's some belief I am, I am invincible because I am an athlete. And then in that same vein, there is, I am hyper, hyper vigilant over what I put in my body. And heck, I'm, I won't even eat sugar. Um, so forget this vaccine. I, I won't have, you know, gluten, whatever it may be. And I think Novak certainly counts as, as one of those athletes, very hyper vigilant about what goes in his body. And I think those two things uh, apply to all athletes and, and will influence how, how uh, willing they are to take the vaccine. Yeah, a couple of the coaches that I talk to say that that very thing is a huge part of it. Um, they get tested routinely. They are they learn not to trust. Um, they see what happened to Maria Sharapova and how that derailed her and left a black mark when she tested positive for something. And she just basically was not paying close enough attention. Um, and uh, they've all, they realize that their livelihood depends on what they put in their body. And that's, from what I understand, talking to a couple of coaches, that's the number one reason. It'll be interesting to see also when there's an off season um, and players actually settle down. They're in one place for at least maybe a month um, because you also, I think, have to take into account, especially the, the lower ranked players on the week to week grind, it might be difficult for them to, to execute this vaccine, especially because you need it twice. What do you mean execute? You so mean- how, In other words, if you're traveling, your point is, Gil, is if you're traveling to different countries, different places, where and how can you get the vaccine if you're not in your homeland and, and how do you do that? Yeah, I suppose, but I suppose maybe I'll grant a little bit of that, but I think that's, I mean, we know that some of the players, let's say ranked 80 through 150 might not have the resources at the disposal of some of the higher ranked players, but they still, they got people to look out for them. There you have been I mean? a couple of tournaments that have offered. Correct. Um, and then yeah. there's a, there's an agent on Twitter that, um, tweeted recently about the availability of the vaccines i think at the u.s open mm -hmm. so if you're if you were good enough to even be there for qualifying um you you've had your opportunity no arguing with that specifically the tournaments have understood that challenge and responded by offering um the vaccines there do we have any thoughts though on um if the australian open can feasibly happen in its planned dates because they can't afford 
to hold. I mean, there were reports about how much money they lost last year. They cannot afford to hold the Australian Open without fans. And right now they're still in, they're still in lockdowns in, in Victoria. Yeah. So when I was out at the Indian Wells Tennis Garden earlier, um, I did hear, I did get some information, I'll say a source, that one thing being considered is to create a bubble in Melbourne Park. So people who are entering Australia still have to do a quarantine, even if you've been vaccinated. So what Tennis Australia is working with the Australian government to do, apparently, according to my source, is create this bubble and then give the players um, the opportunity to train, to have social events and activities. You know, they might have soccer games, they might have um, karaoke, they'll have all kinds of food and they'll serve their quarantine within that bubble, possibly at a hotel, you know, very close to Melbourne Park and they'll keep them sealed. And then after the players that are participating um, complete their quarantine, then they will possibly hold some of these other um, lead up tournaments right there at Melbourne Park. Which sounds great, but of course you're talking, Gildan, about the uh the economic aspect of these tournaments actually happening. These tournaments can happen, but then where the fan part, where's the fan part come in? Well, see, and that's where someone like his Craig Tyler is going to say, you know what, he's got to take into account the Australian government. Look, we need to have a completely vaccinated populace. And the players need to know that because the fans are going to do that. And that's how it's going to go in our country. I mean, it's like Craig Tyler, he's not in the position to tell the Australian government, Oh, hey, we got these players. Can they come in? It's okay if they test. That's okay. It's like the Australian government is making it clear, vaccinate. And so, so that's that's going to become the law of the land. That's the law of the land in Australia. And there aren't exceptions for world-class athletes. We're not doing that. So then becomes the question is like, okay, based on that, how do we also allow people to watch and pay money? Because you can only, I, I, you don't want to look at the balance sheets of the Australian Open, how they were able to even pull it off. So I, I have heard that the plan right now is, and, and again, this is like things that they're considering. It's not set in stone, but the plan is to allow fans as long as the Delta variant is not in a major outbreak. Good. It's the Good. only, I mean, I, I feel very confident in saying it's the only way this tournament can be held because you can't, you just can't take those losses again. And I think Tylee said that after the tournament, this was great. We did it. We feel awesome about it. And, and they, they have every, uh, every right to be extremely proud of what happened last year, but they cannot afford to do that again. Um, well, so last year, last year, the, the majority, the, of the population of Australia was not vaccinated. Um, yeah. uh, now, and even Australia was very behind on their overall population vaccination rates. Um, I know the United States donated, I think a billion doses of vaccine to Australia. Um, now they're getting up there. So yeah. by the time we reach January, they'll probably have the majority of their population vaccinated and vaccinated people do not spread as much. So they, they can spread and you can still get it if you're vaccinated, but it's just, there's more firewalls around. So it makes sense that fans would be allowed. And we, we had um, 
at the US Open, we had full fans and there were no major outbreaks. Uh, New York City did not turn into a hotspot after the US Open. And remember, Australia is a country of less about 26 million people. So, so I think I, what I, I'll be curious to see the entire tennis world. I mean, Novak's a focus for us and he's the number one player in the world. All these tennis players who haven't been vaccinated, how they, it's like the Australian Open is almost kind of laying down the gauntlet. And, and, and you think of how, how meaningful the Australian Open is to the tournament and how the Australian Open has looked out for these players. So it's inter- it'll be interesting to see what they do. Or do a lot of players say, wow, if you demand me to vaccinate, I guess I won't come. I won't do that. And the Australian Open is going to think, well, so be it. There are a great many players. There are a lot of great tennis players out there. I'm sorry that the, the ranks are dotted with players who aren't. So be it. We have wonderful tennis to bring you. Oh, yeah. Look, I, they can. They will certainly sell tickets um, and be fine if, if they're missing a couple players. And, and I'm sure I can already see the storylines. You know, so-and-so doesn't go. So-and-so doesn't go. And people, you know, will act like, oh, serves you right, Australian Open. They will sell tickets um, and yeah. they will be fine if, if they, you know, have – 80% of the field that they might normally bring. Um, it's a major opportunity for someone for, yeah. you know, um, and, and think about this. What if Rafa is there, but Novak isn't? Do we know if Roger's vaccinated? I, I meant to, because I haven't seen anything on it. No, I, I, Rafa is. I remember yes. him saying that. Um, yep. I don't know about Roger. I can't readily find anything on whether Roger's been vaccinated or not. It's kind of funny. It's not really something he's had to face because he's been, his knee's been hurt. Right. So it's not a questions that he's had to answer, but, um, Tsitsipas uh, famously has said that he didn't want to get vaccinated, but then a couple of weeks ago came out and said that if mandated, he would do it. Right. And then said not to follow my advice. He was like, he was like, sorry, sorry, sorry. I mean, I think Greek media got on him. Um, well, the government. It wasn't Greek. It was there was governments. Was oh, that's right. You're right, Joel. Yep, yep. Yeah, it, it's it's going to be interesting. Arena Sabalenka won't play Indian Wells. She tested positive upon arrival in in California. Um, she was uh, hesitant publicly um, about the vaccine um, prior to to the positive test. So yeah, this is going to uh, affect the sport, and uh, I mean, I think, I think uh, Australia will be quite the the tipping point, no matter what, or the inflection point, I'd say. Um, still to come in the in the coming weeks on three, even though we might not have, I don't know when Novak's going to play next, but uh, we might not have that much tennis to discuss. We're going to cover Djokovic's coaching tree from. From Vida to Ivanisevic to Becker to Gencic, uh, we did Tony Nadal an episode a while back, so we're going to hit Djokovic, and then ultimately we're going to talk about Roger Federer and the coaching that he has received throughout his career as well. But that'll do it for this episode of three. Uh, we hope that you remember we are available on all podcast platforms. Leave a rating and a review on Apple. And if you're watching on YouTube, like the video, leave a comment, and subscribe. We will see you next time on the next episode of three.